it's one of the few things in life that the more simple you do it, the better the information is. Hey, teacher friend, welcome to the Simply Teach podcast, a podcast for teachers by teachers. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson, and each week I bring you a podcast full of practical and helpful ideas from teachers. We all know that teaching is really hard work, and I want this podcast to be a place for you to not only find ideas, but to also find encouragement and motivation. Happy Tuesday, teachers, and happy election day for those of you in the U.S. I feel really passionately about the fact that no matter the outcome of this election, we do two things. First and foremost, we trust God in his provision over our country and over our leaders. I think that is crucial. But guys, it cannot stop there. So that's why I think number two is super, super important. We don't stop our civic engagement on November 4th. The policies and the systems that you and we have been advocating for these last six months when things have been really heated and people have been posting about them on their Facebook feeds or their Instagram or wherever, all these things that we've been advocating for these last few months, they still need our attention after the election is over, no matter if your candidate wins or loses especially when it comes to advocating for our students and their education. Let us not lose steam in standing up for these things. I love what the author Eugene Cho says. He says, we cannot reduce our civic engagement to one vote every four years. If that's our posture, then we're actually a part of the problem. Discipleship is an everyday thing, and so voting is one part of that discipleship. I love that quote, and I love that mentality. If you want to make sure that you are advocating for your students, then be sure to check out the Racism in Education series that is just a few episodes back on the Simply Teach podcast feed. All right, teachers, this week we are wrapping up our paper organization episodes for now. For three weeks, we've been talking about how to organize your classroom papers because it's a struggle that so many teachers deal with. Many of you have reached out to me asking about SPED paperwork, RTI interventions, and all of that data that we have to keep up with. I don't have a good system for that. That's why I'm sharing my conversation with Brandy Rosen for this topic. Brandy is a special education teacher out in California who knows and trains and coaches teachers all on special education. She's got a wealth of knowledge and she shares so many great ideas for organizing and managing all of the paperwork and the interventions for our SPED kiddos. We also spend a few minutes at the end of the episode talking about dealing with severe behaviors in the classroom, so be sure to stick around if you are struggling with some behavior issues. Brandy also just opened up a new course, IEP Untangled, and in this course, Brandy is going to teach you how to write IEPs effectively, so those of you who are writing them every day, all day, be sure to check that out. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to leave a rating and a review for Simply Teach. It helps all the other teachers find the podcast. I want to say thank you to LS-ATX. I've tried to say that like four times and I keep messing it up. Um, Somebody in Austin, I suppose, who recently left a short review saying that Simply Teach is so enjoyable. It's like visiting with a teacher friend each time. And y'all, I cannot tell you how happy seeing that review makes me because that is exactly what I want this podcast to feel like. Like we are teacher friends and we are talking about the highs and lows of teaching. Don't forget, if you want more help on getting your papers organized, then be sure to check out the classroom organization paper course that is now open for enrollment. It's at the Simply Organized teacher.com forward slash paper course, super easy. But for now, let's get on to my conversation with Brandy.
Hey, Brandy, welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. Thank you. I am looking forward to chatting with you today because we are going to be chatting all things special education, IEP paperwork, classroom management, all things that I get asked about all the time, but am not the expert on. So I brought you to talk about all that. Will you introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit of your background in education and what you're doing right now? Sure, absolutely. Um, Thanks so much for having me. My name is Brandi Rosen, and I have been in special education for almost 30 years. I started out as um, a teacher for students with uh, emotional behavioral disorders. I've worked um, as a special ed teacher with kids with autism, with multiple disabilities, all different kinds in all different settings. I moved sort of into the world of behavior and set up behavior programs in districts. And then um, for the last, mm, I don't know, 10 or so years, I've been coaching and training and mentoring new teachers as a big part of what I do um, in all areas. um, But that includes IEPs, writing IEPs, writing goals, classroom management, all of that. And so it's really kind of my passion and that's what I love to do. I, I do really love working with new teachers. And, you know, right now is this really, really challenging time for new teachers in all ways. So um, I think there's a lot out there that, um, you know, people both general ed and special ed are looking for. And and I I generally guide my um, trainings and instruction to both special ed and general ed teachers, because um, that's kind of where the magic happens in schools is when everybody's on the same page. So I think that's really important because I think I know definitely um, when I was in the classroom, I it wasn't that I like didn't view the special ed teacher as like my partner or whatever. It was just like the time to work together or to meet together just felt like it was always, I don't know, I just didn't feel like I had that super great partnership. And so then it made all these things that you have to do as a teach as a gen ed teacher for your kids in the special ed program. Like it just is so much and so overwhelming. So I want to start off with the question I get asked all the time, which is how do you recommend teachers? And I guess we can maybe talk to gen ed and special ed, um, organizing all of the paperwork for all of the kids. Well, and, and that's a great question. I think it's a, it's a very, it's two different, it's definitely two different conversations. So um, I, I'll talk with general ed first, because I think that's where um, a lot of the confusion and overwhelm comes from. And the first thing that I always talk to teachers about is, I, I think in general, we overthink things. We make it more complicated <laughs> than it has to be. And so, um, w- you know, when I'm talking to teachers, I say, General ed teachers are the experts in curriculum, and and that's their world, right? And special ed um, teachers are the experts in and uh, accommodating and and specializing and differentiating for kids and IEPs. So. A general ed teacher doesn't have to know and do everything that a special ed teacher, they shouldn't. But I think that's where sometimes the overwhelm comes is is either they're getting the message from other people that they need to basically be a special ed teacher and a general ed teacher, or they just feel that responsibility that they want to be able to do that. So the first piece of it is to know that you don't need as a general ed ed teacher to know everything at all. You need to know the pieces that apply to what's going on in your classroom. So that's the first, that's the first step. And that takes out a lot of, even, even if we're talking paperwork, that takes a lot out of the picture. They don't have to have 
a complete IEP file. And they really shouldn't, to be honest, because there's a lot of confidential information in those files. And those really belong in the special ed classroom. That's where that belongs. Um, In a perfect world, a special ed teacher will go through, only pull out the pieces that a general ed teacher needs to know. And generally, those will be the IEP goals and the IEP accommodations. Those are really um, the two pieces that the general ed teacher is responsible for in most cases. And so the teachers that the special ed teachers that I work with, I um, I encourage them to use uh, what I just call a, a special ed goal page. And what it is is one page because I'm a big believer in one page that has the information on it that a general ed teacher needs, and that's going to include just the goals written out simply. It doesn't need to be um, in the format that we would know as a special ed teacher. The list of the accommodations that are in place for that general ed setting or for the general ed teacher. And then contact information. The, the special ed teacher, the um, speech person, the OT, if there's, if there's a lot of other people in the mix. So that they know, you know, kind of this student's plan. And that's really what they should be working off of. They shouldn't have a bunch of other things to look off of. So if you think about in general, most of the time these days, you're going to have, you know, 10 to 20% of your kids are going to have an IEP in some way. So that might just be a speech IEP or whatever. But And so if you're thinking that you're going to have, you know, anywhere between five to 10 kids that might have IEP services, but you only have one page, that becomes much more manageable. So that's kind of the basics. So then what I help general ed teachers do is I help them set up file folders with that one page and then anything else that they want. Because having said that, there are many general ed teachers who are like, I want it all. It's easier for me if I have it all and I know it all. So then I encourage them that you still keep your one page as your functioning document and then you make a file for the other so that you can go back to it because oftentimes um, teachers will say, I don't want to have to go running around looking for something if I need it. So that's great. And then I have other teachers who say, I'd rather run around. I don't want all that paper in my, in my room. It's just too much. And both of those ways are totally fine. Then you you set up your um, just your one working document and then a data sheet with that if that's part of what um, you know you're responsible for. Now, having said that, if it's a student with a lot of behavioral interventions, then it's likely that there is going to be more paperwork because they're going to have positive behavior support plans. They may have. Um, uh, management kind of programs that they have ongoing. So if that's the case, sometimes we need to make it a little bit more complicated, but it's still going to be as simple as possible. So in general, an IEP can be, you know, anywhere from 12 to 50 pages long. And there's a lot in there that a general general ed teacher doesn't need to know. Um, and so that I like to take out for them and get that sort of more clarified. Now for a special ed teacher, a whole different ballgame. And and organization is the key. Paper organization is one of the top five, you know, concerns and complaints for sure. And that's where you need to come up with more um, involved organization systems. And so I have a, and I say, I think because I'm old, but I have a thing where I think for new teachers, I encourage them to print everything out their first year. So a lot of you know, by, by, once you get good at things, you can keep things, um, on your computer and you don't need, and you can make files that way. But there is something when you, when you have that much to organize and think about, it helps to see it. You can write notes on it. You can highlight it. You can use sticky notes. You can, you have it all in front of you. And then as you get more experienced and if you're more comfortable transitioning that to 
um, computerized files, that's different. But at the beginning, you know, I say I'm old school, like get a file for each student, put what you need in it, organize it, tabs, do everything. So you have that at your fingertips. So those are kind of the, you know, for special ed, it's, I encourage them to have everything. And for general ed, I try and work with them really to, to, to maybe go against their own nature and to have less because they just don't need all of that information. Yeah, that sounds really stress relieving to just think about this one page. Right. Because again, like if you have five or six kids in your class that have um, accommodations or modifications or whatever, like that's a lot to keep up with. I remember when my my sister is a high school culinary teacher. Well, she's not culinary anymore. She got a new job and I can't remember what it is, um, but she's in high school education. And I was helping her set up her classroom and, you know, at high school, you've got like six or seven classes with 20 or 30 kids in each class. And she was like, I don't know how to keep track of all of this or even to just keep track of like, okay, this kid needs this modification. Do you have any like tips on that? If you are managing a bunch of classes or a bunch of kids, like how do you keep all that straight in your mind? What each kid needs to be, what their, uh, accommodations are. Right. And then that is much more challenging at the secondary level. The one thing about that in most cases, um, by the time kids get to the secondary level, they are able and should be advocating for their own accommodations as well as the teacher knowing. So I try and encourage teachers not to take it all on themselves um, because they're, if you miss it and you forget it, they should also be letting you know, unless they're more moderate to severe, but then there's going to be more support for those kids anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, so I have them do even a smaller sheet. And so what I, for accommodations specifically, take the goals out because that, that becomes more. And for a teacher who is working, um, you know, say a culinary or if she's moved into kind of more of an, you know, in an elective class, those IEP goals may not even be that important for her to Mm -hmm. know. So that's again, where you go through and you really decide like, what, what, what do I need for this particular student for this classroom. In most cases at the secondary level, maybe one or two of the IEP goals will be relatable to that course. Um, and then the accommodations are going to be your biggest, you know, that's going to be your big piece. And so I will help teachers come up with an accommodation cheat cheat sheet is what I call it. And so it's for each of their classes. Now I'm just going to preface this by saying this still, this is still confidential information. So you can't like post it on a wall or anything, but for your own self, you'll hear me say this again on one sheet because I'm (laughs) on one sheet. I, you know, it, it, um, psychologically makes a difference in your mind. When you have everything on one sheet, you're like, I can do this. This is doable. You got five sheets and all of a sudden it's overwhelming. So I just do, um, I have them do a cheat sheet for each of their class periods and Mm -hmm. the kids in that class period and what their accommodations are. So, you know, if she's teaching six, um, six sections, she's going to have six sheets for each of the each of the sections shall have the student, and I usually do first name, last initial. And then just in a block, you know, I put the accommodations. And then um, teachers keep that in different places for themselves, just so they can take a peek. Um, again, because it's confidential, you, you can't put it up, but you can certainly have it on your desk. So um, like one of the teachers that I work with, she has a clipboard, and she has the she teaches five sections. So she has one for each class, a cheat sheet. 
And she just flips, puts the one that's for that class in front of her. She keeps it on her desk so that she can just glance down if she needs it. And that's all that, you know, and that's pretty much all you need. And within, not not in COVID world, but in normal world, <laughs> it takes a couple weeks and then you're pretty familiar with their accommodations. It, it kind of clicks right. in. It always seems way bigger at the beginning when you, before you start teaching. And the other piece about accommodations is that so many of the time, gosh, I, I would say, for sure, the majority of the time, these are accommodations you're already doing in your classroom. Yeah. So many of them. Yeah. And so general ed teachers will feel like, I can't keep up with it. And then when I sit and talk them through that and I say, well, let's see, what's this one? Oh, I already do that. What's this one? Oh, I already do that. You're like, you're halfway through these accommodations because that's just what good teaching. So many of accommodations are just good teaching. But that cheat sheet makes it much easier. So then again, you get rid of all that other, if you have, even if you have two or three kids with IEPs in each of your classes and you have six sections and you're trying to keep track of their entire IEP, you know, you've got 12, 15, 16 IEPs, some here, you know, floating around within the rest of your 90, 180 kids that you're seeing. So it's a lot. Simplify, simplify, simplify. (laughs) You're a woman after my own heart. So speaking of simplify, do you have any recommendations or tips for simplifying the process of documenting things with your kids? I'm thinking like even RTI type stuff and behavior stuff, because that's also a question I've gotten a lot is like, I have to keep all this data on my kids. When do I get it done? When, like, how do I do it efficiently? Well, that's one of my favorite conversations to have. Um, I work <laughs> with uh, teachers a lot on setting up classroom management systems that work in their classroom. And the first thing they always say is, there, there's no way. Like, I can't, I can't keep track of that. How will I do that? I, I can't keep the data. I don't know how will I look at if it's working and, and whatever. And I'm going to say, you know, a similar thing in that I think one of the biggest mistakes that we have made in special education working with general education is that we try and transfer special education into general education. And that's a mistake from the beginning because there's a reason that special education is what it is, right? It's for a higher level of intervention for students who need things done differently. It's not meant to be the same as general ed. So when Oftentimes when special ed teachers are supporting general ed teachers and setting up data collection systems, they're encouraging them to do systems that work for them in special ed. And I always say, don't, 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 don't. Because just as general ed is not, um, we're not expected to do the same thing in special ed that general ed is in general ed, we shouldn't be expecting it the flip side. So we really want to encourage, so for general ed teachers, as simple as possible. The beauty about data is that it's one of the few things in life that the more simple you do it, the better the information is. And, and so what we find when we look long-term over, over data points is that if we set up a very simple system that just is looking at targeted behaviors in a very simple way, I'll say a check mark, right? A yes or a no, an X or a minus. We get consistent data in a way that we never get when we're doing a more complicated system because you can't implement it with fidelity and people get overwhelmed and it's too messy. And so I encourage teachers to, the first thing when I do a training for teachers um, on data collection or classroom management, it both, you know, in the same way, the first thing I always ask them is, what do you think you can do? 
what feels right for you. What do you think you could do? What do you think you can put into it? And so if a teacher says, I feel like I can do, um, you know, a mark on their desk, or I feel like I can do something at the end of the day, or I feel like I can collect data maybe right before lunch and then right at the end of the day, like that's all I can do. Okay, that's our starting point. That's where we are. That's fine. So then we develop a system around that. Because the data is the same. It doesn't matter if it's really, like I work with a lot of behavioral specialist people and and their behaviors, their, their data systems are gorgeous. They're amazing. It's like a work of art. But that's not what we're going to expect teachers to do. And so it doesn't have to be. Um, and so there is no, I can't give you an answer like this is the one thing to do. But the answer is you figure out what feels comfortable. Now, the flip side of that answer is, the answer to that cannot be, I don't feel comfortable. I don't have time to do anything, right? Like you know, that can't be the answer as much as I'd like to give that to you. It has to be something, but it just has to be um, what you're willing to do. And what I have found is that when you give teachers kind of that room to create what they're comfortable with, oftentimes they will be the ones that push themselves into a little bit more even because they're like, oh, this is doable. I can do this. Oh, so you're just asking me that every time he raises his hand, then I just put a mark on my, I have, I have one teacher who, and I totally love this because this is something I would do, is she just carried a pen when she taught. And so we were in with this particular student, they were looking at um, raising hand. They were trying to teach him to raise his hand instead of call out. And so we wanted some baseline data. And so she was like, jokingly, she's like, well, I can just tally on my hand every time he raises his hand. And I'm like, perfect. She goes, really? I'm like, yes, perfect. So she would tally on her hand and then she'd take a picture of it at the end of the class period and send it to the special ed teacher. We had excellent data. It was, it was perfect. That was all we needed to do. And she was like, this I can handle, you know, like that was great. So just kind of, you know, thinking outside the box that way, like what works for you? What's doable? It doesn't have to be super fancy. I want to interrupt this episode for just a second to make sure that you know about the Organize Your Classroom Papers course that is now available. For years, teachers have been telling me how much they struggle with organizing all the papers in and around their classrooms. Teachers want to know what to do with all the papers that they have for multiple classes that they teach, or what to do with the papers that someone gives you thinking that you might want it, when in fact, you very much do not want it, or how to handle grading all of the papers and what to do with all those papers when you're done with them. I get it. As teachers, we have a ton of papers to deal with. The goal of the Organize Your Classroom Papers course is to help you sift through, clean out, and organize all of your papers so that you can stop spending so much time trying to remember where you put that copy or having your class get involved in looking for those materials that you just misplaced. You can get access to the course by heading to the simplyorganizedteacher.com forward slash paper course. Inside this course, we're also gonna be talking about how to organize your filing cabinets, your digital files, your lesson plan materials, basically any kind of paper material that you have, I'm gonna show you practical ways that you can organize and systemize those papers. In less than 40 minutes, I'll teach you how to clean out, organize, and systemize the papers inside your classroom so that you can get rid of some of that clutter that I know is causing you so much stress. That's the simplyorganizedteacher.com forward slash paper course to get access to the course today. The simplyorganizedteacher.com forward slash paper course. Now back to the show.
So how do we get more people like you in education that say, what's the simple thing you can do? What do you feel comfortable with doing? How do we get that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think that um, I think we are hitting a little bit of a turning point, though, because um, obviously with this situation, things are so convoluted and so complicated that I feel like now is the time to have this conversation a little bit that I think we've been putting our energy, it is sort of the dynamic of education, right? You know, we're all into one thing and then we're all into another thing and it just kind of gets complicated on complicated. But I think that we lose a lot. I mean, my experience is we lose a lot of new teachers because of that, as opposed to saying like, you know, I always, I always tell them you can only do what you can do right now. And that's enough. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Whatever you can do right right now is enough. So I don't know. I think it's a funny dynamic. It's a, it's an interesting question, but I think it's a funny dynamic because like in any other field, you know, like I'll, I, say a brain surgeon, right? Like you wouldn't put a brain surgeon in the field and expect them to do all the things at once, right? They they would uh-huh. have so many years of training and support where they would do one part of it and then another part and have this person and be, but like with teaching, it's like you graduate on day one and you're running a whole classroom with yeah. like no support. So that is, I, I don't know what the answer to it. Maybe it's our, I mean, I've thought for years, it's our, um, you know, university level support and what that mm-hmm. means and things like that. But it, it is, it is a curious, it's a curious dynamic that we have in education for sure. Yeah. Cause I remember like, I think my last year when I was in the classroom, our district implemented this like really intense RTI documentation process mm-hmm. we, we, where I was having to document tier one, uh, tier two and tier three kids. Tier three kids were already being documented by their tier three intervention, but yet I was having to do those same. And it was just like, you're like, when am I? The thing that frustrates me, right. The thing that frustrates me so much about education is it's like, everybody thinks their part in education is the most important part. And so this is priority. And it's like, I mean, it was the same thing in, in college, like every professor thinks their class is the most important, you know? And I think, um, you know, there is a, there is a, there's a truth in one way that special ed, um, a principal, a very smart principal I worked with once said to me, and, and I thought this, this is, I tell this to people all the time is she said, the way of special ed is the way of your school. And so there is a reality because special ed law is so strong and so directive, in some ways, special ed always does take a priority because we have so many, you know, restrictions and laws in place mm-hmm. that it's it, it doesn't really um, it doesn't really lend itself to like okay, we're going to deal with special ed, you know, next week. This week we're going to deal with that, and I know that that's a lot of that that causes a lot of frustrations for well schools and general ed teachers and even special ed teachers, because, you know, I can't tell you a hundred thousand times I've said, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. I get it. I know we don't have a choice or, you know, for a teacher to say, this is impossible that I get it. I totally get that. We don't have a choice, you know? Um, and that then, so that does sort of bump special ed always up to the top a little bit. Right, right. So you mentioned behavior management, classroom management, behavioral support. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about maybe two to three, like if you could, you know, there's a new teacher right now or a teacher who has um, 
some severe behavior in their class, but is not yet at a point where they're receiving intervention or is in that process? Like, what are some ways that we can assist these kids um, without pulling your hair out? <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually that that's really you know, like I said, one of the um, one of the one of my passions, and I train um, teachers and school districts on kind of a five step process, and. And that, again, comes from all of my years working with kind of the most severe behaviors. Um, and the, fir- the, well, the, first, the first piece of advice always is your, whatever classroom management system you're setting up, it has to meet the needs of your most difficult student. If it doesn't, then it's not an effective system. And that's right off the bat where most systems fall apart. Because in general, um, classroom systems that are, you know, what what I call, um, well, I call them Lakeshore. I don't know if you guys have that, but Lakeshore kind of classroom management yeah. systems. They look pretty. They have all the nice kinds of wording and everything. They are they're they are called pro-social classroom management systems. And what that means is it's really, you know, helping kids who are already pretty good kids to be kind of productive citizens, you know, like that's really what their thing, their, their focus is. Which is great, except those are not the kids that, you know, send you home crying every day, right? Those are not the kids that may, it feels, they're really, really great for like 80% of your class. Um, But those are the ones that would be great without anything. That's what I always say. Like you wouldn't even, it's lovely, but they don't need anything anyway. So then the next group of kids or the kids that really, you know, need, require a system, it's really just kind of a behavioral based five steps. And so I'll just kind of go through those real quick and then I'll just pick out a couple important pieces. So the first thing is that you want to determine what is it that you don't want to see anymore. So that's your first step, figuring out and being as specific as possible. What don't you want to see in your classroom anymore? So generally that's whatever interfering behavior is popping up. Then you want to look at when is that behavior happening? Because oftentimes um, teachers will say it's all day long, every minute of every day, this is going on. But then when you stop and you're able to look at it, you're like, oh, you know what? It's actually during large group settings. The small group is pretty good. So that's great because the less, the, the more we can kind of bring it in and make it more specific, the better the system will work. So, you know, you decide it's mostly during small group, sometimes large group, I mean, mostly during large group, sometimes during small group, but you're not that worried about it because it's manageable. So you're going to focus your time during that large group, right? So that's great. And then the next question you're going to ask is, why is it happening? What's going on? And generally, um, in kind of behavioral languages, we're looking at the function of the behavior or what's really causing this behavior to happen. Do you have a group of kids that are really attention seeking? And so they're just, you know, doing that. Do you have a group of kids who have a lot of control issues or one or two kids? And so they're kind of throwing everything up in the air. So you need to know the why, because that's going to that's going to help you determine what you do instead. And then the next piece, which is the one we sometimes forget about um, as teachers, because we think they will understand this just on their own, is that we want to figure out what do we want them to do instead. So we don't want them screaming out. Instead, we want them raising their hand, right? So, okay, now we know, now we're back in the ballpark of teaching. Now we're back to being a teacher because the next step is going to be how. How are we teaching it? What are we setting up? That's going to include our classroom rules or classroom procedures, which I am a huge, huge, huge um, advocate 
of using your classroom rules and procedures in a much more powerful way than we generally do as teachers where we just like write them out and put them up and that's the last we talk about them. They can really and should be the heart and soul of your classroom management system. And so how are we going to teach those? How are we going to practice it? How are we going to set those up? What are we going to do with that? So those are kinds of the steps. And then we add in the layer of reinforcement. What ends up happening is most people um, and almost 100% of the people that come to me needing help, the first question they ask is, what do I do for reinforcement? And I always say, okay, we'll get there. But first we have to, I use this analogy, I say, but first we have to bake the cake because you're talking about the icing on the cake, right? And and I'm not there yet. We're, we lo- Icing is delicious. It's the best part, no question. But if we don't have a cake, we're nowhere in the ballgame, right? So um, I love that you're using a cake analogy because when I talk about classroom organization, I talk about all people focus on is the decorating and the icing. I, I say the icing on the cake, oh my God, that's the decorations right. on the cake, but we've got to have the base layer of the cake, you know, your management systems in place, your time management yeah. systems in place before you can, you can build that cake up. Oh, so yeah. I love that. Like we're both using the same analogy. <laughs> you can tell where our mind is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's for real. You know, the reinforcement system is the, it's what people think classroom management is. And then what happens is they set up that reinforcement system and it doesn't work because they haven't done the other parts. And then they say, Mm -hmm. see, reinforcement doesn't work. And so that's where I I push that reinforcement off to the side, even though that's where everybody wants to jump in. Um, But you have to take the other steps. And so it, it's, you know, it's five steps. So it sounds like a lot, but it's not, it's really simple. I mean, you can, you can go through those questions. I, I do a whole course on this where I walk people through and much more involved, but I also just like, um, you know, sometimes I do like day consulting with teachers and we just go through this in the day, right? You just go through it. And then obviously the time comes in the, how are you going to teach it? The lesson planning you're going to do the activities, you know, when are you going to practice all of that? And then we set up that reinforcement. So in a case like this, if, if the target behavior, because, oh, and I, I may have skipped this, because the first thing I ask is, what is disrupting you the most? Because it's not for me to say, because for some teachers, it's one thing and some teachers, it's another. And it there's no right or wrong because it's your classroom. So if for some teachers, the getting out of their seat is the thing that just, you know, pushes them over the edge. But then there's some teachers who they don't care if they're moving around the classroom, if their mouth's quiet, that's the only thing they care about. So that's the target behavior, right? Like, so you just work with what works in your classroom. You start to, you define what that is you want, and then your reinforcement will then go in with that target behavior. So if you're really focusing on raising your hand, then the reinforcement's going to be hooked into that. Once you get to that point, reinforcement's easy, you know, in most cases, like whatever works for you, if you're comfortable with it and it's reinforcing for the kids, there's really no wrong answer with that. And then when you have that system set up, the beauty of that as compared to some of the other things that people recommend is that your system is set up in a way that no matter what behavior then pops up, you have the structure to then pop that behavior right into that structure. So you have, you know, little Johnny that shows up and just starts throwing chairs around the room instead of being like, but wait, you know, my, my happy little poster that says all my rules isn't working. And you, and then people feel so overwhelmed. You already have this. I'm not going to say it makes the behavior easier, but you know what you need to do. You're like, okay, I need him to stop throwing chairs. 
What do I want him to do instead? You know, when he's frustrated, I want him to take a breath. Whatever it is, you've got the system in place. And so then you can you can adapt the program for the different needs of your students. So that's why I kind of move away from that, um, you know, a little bit of a say cookie cutter. And I'm not saying that in a bad way because it's perfect for some kids. I mean, that, it's it's a great, you know, it's a great way to do it. But if you want a system that will will address those more challenging kids, you're going to need to put in, you know, a whole structure. And And I compare it to like learning to read. I mean, we wouldn't just have a student, we wouldn't, you know, have a classroom of first graders and have them sit down at their desk and give them war and peace and say, go ahead and read, right? Like we know we have to come up with a very systematic program to teach them to read. But with classroom management, we kind of just assume kids are going to be able to do it. You know, they just know what to do. Yeah. No, I think I like those five questions because I think in my experience and I would assume a lot of teachers is the behavior gets so severe that you just become frustrated and it's like everything you try doesn't work. But when you can, and you're so in the moment and heat, I mean, I can remember, I'm sure I've shared this on the podcast before, literally behavior interventionist was in in my classroom, first year teaching. And I am like with a pencil and a kid trying to (laughs) drag the pencil out of his hand. And afterwards he was like, Hey Kelly, you know, not every battle in your classroom, you don't need to win every battle. (laughs) And like, I was like, oh, but it's like in those moments you forget to step back. And this is coming out in the middle of the school year. And so I think that that will be a really good reminder for teachers. Like, hey, if you're having some issues, let's go back to these basic questions um, and figure out like what solutions we can come up with and how we can you know, put that framework or that structure in with these kids that are causing these, or I don't even want to say causing issues because I think that's right, maybe right. not the best terminology, but yeah. um, that are having some struggle with They're a struggle, the, exactly. right. Yeah. And, and I, I bring it back. I love that story. I tell the story too. When I started teaching my first year of teaching, I was actually in Texas and um, I started teaching kids with emotional and behavioral disorders. And I started a classroom of kindergarten through third kid. I'll never, it was one of my best years, but the hardest ever, but it was kindergarten through third graders. And I had 16 kids. Um, I had an an aid. Were you sped or general ed? Sped. It was sped. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And I had only an aid one half of a day. That was the only extra help I had in the classroom. And the teach, they hadn't had a permanent teacher for a year and a half. They'd only had subs. So they were, I mean, you can imagine, right? And by the end <laughs> of the first week, I, I mean, I, you know, I had gotten my master's in this, right? In behavior, this was my thing. By the end of the first week, I had gone through every single thing that I knew was the right thing to do. I had gone through every single thing I knew was the wrong thing to do. And I was basically like curled up on my couch and I was like, I, I give up. Like, I can't do this. You know, the, the things I've developed, have developed from these, you know, these years of that struggle. But I love that story, too, because I had a ton of those power struggles, too. Like, yeah, you're going to do this. No, I'm not. Yeah, you're going to do it. No, I'm not. And these kids were masterful. And, uh, right. yeah, it was very funny. And after a while, you're like, what am I doing? Like, I, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe I'm sitting here having this argument with a seven-year-old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But look at you now. Now you are educating teachers and helping teachers with these very things that we struggle with. Will you, to wrap us up, tell us, so you mentioned a 
course that you have, right, about this behavior management stuff. Will you just tell us where we can find you, what kind of resources we can get from you? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got, you know, a bunch of different places, but um, my website is learn to teach with Brandy. Um, dot com. And so I have everything linked through there. Um, and I've got, uh, you know, I do weekly blogs on all of this. I have resources. Um, I also have a TPT page that I just started putting up because so many teachers were asking about some of these resources. Um, so I'm, I'm doing a bunch of, um, bundles with IEP goals so people can start to use those. It's just, it's in its baby baby phases, but, um, it's learned to teach. And then if you, if you go to my website, you can link through to my, I have a Facebook page, learn to teach. I have a, a group as well that you can link through that, um, for new teachers. So that's, that's out there as well. And then, um, I do have a classroom management course that again, links through my website, um, that will probably open up again in October, November, depending on how we are with being back in school and things like that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I always love to, you know, I have teachers reach out a lot and I'm happy. I just, you know, had a teacher reach out about some goals and she sent me the IEP goals and I just gave her feedback on it because it's fun and I like to do that. So I'm, <laughs> I'm always happy to chat with people. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. And so it's learn to teach with Brandy IE. Yes. I just want to say, and I'll include all this in the, um, in the show notes, but just if somebody's listening, i.e. I feel like that's probably important. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today and sharing all of your ideas and your knowledge. I think that there are going to be a lot of teachers that are going to find this really helpful and have some light bulbs go off for them. I'm glad. Thanks for having me. Interviewing teachers like Brandy is really one of my favorite things that I get to do because we show up to a Zoom call that's scheduled for like 30 or 40 minutes and we have that normal small talk, chit chat, hi, how are you kind of thing. We do the interview and then we stick around for another hour chatting about business and teaching and all the different ways that we want to be able to help teachers in our perspective niches. I really hope that you enjoyed listening in on this conversation with Brandy. I learned so much from her both on the air and off the air. I hope that you gleaned some helpful tips. Be sure to head to her website and enroll in her course, IEP Untangled. I love what she says on her website. She says, this course is for teachers and by teachers. It makes writing IEPs simple so you can focus on what you truly love. And y'all, that is the heartbeat behind everything that I do over here at the Simply Organized Teacher. And so I am happy to share this course with you. If you are a SPED teacher needing to write a lot of IEPs, then be sure to head to the link in this week's show notes because she's going to teach you how to write IEPs in half the time that it normally takes you. When this podcast goes live, so this could change, the course is only $37, y'all, which is like, when I saw that price, I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a steal for all of the lessons. There's six of them inside the course to help you get your IEP paperwork writing down to a science. All the links to the things Brandy and I talked about, her course and the classroom paper organization course are all over in this week's show notes. Just swipe up or down or to the side or wherever you swipe, depending on wherever you're listening to this episode. All the links you need are going to be there and will take you to the exact information you need. Y'all have a great week and I'll see you back here next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Simply Teach. If you enjoyed it, I'd be so grateful to have you share it over on social media and tag me at the Simply Organized Teacher, or you can head to wherever you are listening to this podcast right now and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. This episode was edited by the team over at Podcastology. 
Remember all the show notes, links to things we talked about, classroom organization resources, and all of the courses can be found over on my website, the simplyorganizedteacher.com. Make sure to join my email list and get weekly organization tips straight to your inbox by heading to the simplyorganizedteacher.com slash email. Y'all have a great week.